Welcome, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, to the Innocence Redeemed podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and today we're going to talk about something a little different. I received an email from a listener asking me what she should do about her child, who is three years old and raising him to believe in Santa versus not. And so the title of today's show is going to be called Children, St. Nick, and the Satanic Clause. Now, before you get all up in arms and think that this sounds like it's going to be a secular podcast, stay with me because I'm going to explain some things. I'm going to explain who St. Nick was. I'm going to explain who Santa is and how that name was derived from a Satanic Clause and represents materialism and magic and witchcraft versus seeking God, who is our true provider for everything we could ever need or ask for, and who is actually able to provide it, whereas setting a child up for disappointment can lead to confusion, and if not disciplined correctly, tantrums. Because, you know, guys, if you think about it, when a child believes in a fictional character, or that this man, an idol, if you really want to put it that way, can deliver anything that child wants, and then that child gets up on Christmas morning and doesn't see what they wanted under that tree. And that's another thing, wanting, teaching the child wanting. But if he or she sees that what they asked for is not under that tree, they're going to be very upset. And I've seen YouTube videos, guys, where there'll be a kid that'll ask for something, and if they don't get it, they throw a tantrum. So if you think about it, you're also instilling entitlement. And we don't want to be doing that. We all want to be putting our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ because we know that we're teetering on the edge of tribulation and we don't want to be setting confusion up in children. And you know there's another point to that. You don't want to be teaching a child that there's a man sitting on a chunk of ice at the North Pole watching to see when he sleeps, when he wakes, whether he's been bad or good. Why should a man, an idol, which God prohibits, by the way, take the place of our living God, who we are accountable to, and why do we want to instill that at a young age? God's number one commandment was that you shall have no other gods before me. That's Exodus 20, verse 3. Verse 4 says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything, that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Verse 5, You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So, just a quick look at verse 4 alone. Any likeness of anything, it says anything, that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. People want to believe in aliens, fallen angels. They want to believe in Santa, who is in the earth beneath and created by man. And they want to give him the glory at Christmas time. And we're teaching our children this. We're teaching our children that it's okay to believe that that's okay. So then the Lord says in verse 5, I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity 
That is the sin of idolatry of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And because these traditions keep getting passed down, it's a curse. It's a curse because it's a wrong teaching. And we need to repent from that. We need to teach our children the truth. We need to be teaching our children the truth of who God is and why he sent his one and only begotten son to die for our sins, to cleanse us of iniquity. We don't want to be piling up more iniquity. We're supposed to be in a season of repentance now. That's been the overall title of my ministry. That's why I cover these things, guys. You know, these are some really actually important questions. And I want to thank the sister for bringing this to my attention because it is something that needs to be talked about. Parents, for that matter, ought to be in agreement over these things. Because when you have a young child and you're trying to teach them the ways of our Lord, you do not want to be setting them up to believe one thing, believe the Lord, and then they're confused, and then one parent's saying one thing and one parent's saying the other. That's going to cause feuding. That's not going to help. That's just going to create more confusion and strife, which is exactly what the enemy is all about. Well, come on, Ray. You already gave us a lecture about Halloween. Don't you think you're taking it a little too far by talking about Santa being bad? No, not really. Not really. You know why? Because the devil is in the details. See, remember, this is how Satan has deceived the world. He hides something as good, sounding good, on the surface, and we get conditioned to accept that it's okay. But we don't think of the long-term ramifications about it. And if you think about it where a child is concerned, you are instilling wanting, you are instilling disobedience and entitlement. False beliefs. And as that child grows, as he develops, yes, most kids come out of a phase where they're going to believe in Santa, okay? But you don't want to be instilling that at such a critical point of where we are right now. You can teach them the difference of who St. Nick is, who he was. Because in times of old, he really was a gentleman who helped the poor and needy and did good deeds. But when you take the word Santa, just change a few letters around. And what name do you have? Should be pretty obvious. You know, I normally don't share mainstream articles because I'm never sure exactly what's real and what isn't sometimes. But this listener, before I read her email, she sent me an article that she found that came out the day after. This is from WorldNet Daily. Kids carry Disney's holiday message, We Love You, Satan. And in smaller quotes, it says they don't even hide their agenda anymore. Disney has been in trouble lately. After the company adopted an aggressive pro-LGBT ideology, and that's another thing about Santa, it's an ideology, and began installing it in products for children, unhappy parents canceled subscriptions to Disney+, Plus, movie attendance collapsed, and its stock plunged. 
Now, the company's agenda appears to not only include condemning traditional marriage beliefs, but promoting Satan. The promotion is appearing in a new series called The Santa Clauses. And that's exactly what it is, but you can call it the Satanic Clause, and that's why I titled this podcast the way I did. A series on Disney Plus that reboots the earlier Santa Claus feature films by Tim Allen. A report at the Gateway Pundit noted defenders of the series claim the scene where children are holding the letters which spell out, we love you, Satan. And you know what? I hate saying that. I, I don't even like quoting that. That's the kind of stuff that Barack Obama used to do. If you used to play his messages backwards, you'd hear that. And I'm sorry if that makes your ears curl. You know, how do you think I feel reading it? The fact that I have to say these things to show you, because the average person is too busy going about their lives, enjoying the holidays, to even know this kind of stuff is going on. But this is what you have to shine light on to bring credence to the presentation, because this really is going on, and it really is the agenda. Moving on. The message said, which is supposed to say, we love you, Santa. And this is just one of the many comedic scenes in the movies, but parents aren't laughing. The company on social media was accused of promoting its agenda. They don't hide it anymore. And I'm not going to go on reading this, but this just goes to show you what it's all about and what they're trying to instill in children. And this is why parents like this sister who emailed me are concerned, and rightfully so, because look at how they're acclimating these children, conditioning them to believe these things that they're right. Well, they're not. That's disgusting. That's demonic. And that's aside from the sexual underlying part of it. If you still have a Disney Plus subscription, cancel it. Cancel it. Because if you're a Christian, you cannot say that you support that company and what they do and what they're doing to these kids. That is unacceptable as believers. That is unacceptable, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. There is no innocent there. I don't care how they try to wrap it. You know, I've quoted the verse about the millstone. You know, Matthew 18, 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That is Jesus speaking that word. So, it is quite serious. And we need to take it seriously. And it starts by saying no. Jesus even gave the woes in verse 7. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. And brothers and sisters, there's a lot of offenses taking place right now. Matthew 18.8 If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life, lame or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And that's what I meant by, if it causes you to sin, if it causes you to take part in it, get rid of it. So if you support Disney, boycott them. Stop having anything to do with their organization. Cancel the Disney Plus account. Stop feeding the beast. Stop giving them your money. Stop being condoning to what they're doing by supporting them and showing approval. Don't let your children watch it. Cut its head off like the Leviathan it is. And it's not just Disney. I would take a good hard look also 
at the kind of rubbish they're pushing on Nickelodeon because the woke culture is entering into everything and it is satanic in and of itself. And that is aside from what I'm going to talk about regarding what Santa was created for and the clause, not the cause. Do you think that there wasn't some kind of hidden meaning behind the word the Santa clause? The official meaning of a clause is a group of words containing a subject and a predicate and forming part of a compound or complex sentence. Number two, a distinct article, stipulation, or provision in a document. That part of a bond which defines the amount of the penalty. Is there not a penalty eternally for making a clause or a contract with the enemy? Think about it. Think about it. In a way, you could say it's another fancy word for a covenant. Another way to say it is that clause means a purpose. And that purpose, as it's of the enemy, is anything but innocent. I mentioned covenant. It can also mean, then, a contract. If you've ever heard the terminology, you can't make a deal with the devil and win, that's exactly what it means. But I want to get to the email that this sister sent me, because then I'm going to go into the details and get into the nitty-gritty. Now, for the record, we'll call her Sister E. Hey, Ray. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I wanted to get your opinion on a dilemma I face for Christmas. After successfully dodging Halloween, I now face Santa Claus. And she put an E on Claus. That's interesting. I have a three-year-old son who will believe in Santa if pushed enough. My husband is a lukewarm Christian who does not study scripture and who does not experience the same convictions I'm getting from the Lord. He grew up believing in Santa, and I did not. After staying with his parents over this Thanksgiving holiday, his mom asked about it because she knows I did not believe in Santa. I was honest and said I would prefer my son learn that presents come from real people and that we focus on the birth of Jesus more than anything else and that Santa be more of a fun fictional character. My husband's mother said that there's not enough magic in the world and we just ended it at that. I didn't even bring it up with my husband because he's already said that Santa will be a part of Christmas. I really don't know what to do, because I'm not sure if it's worth the fight. I already know my husband will never understand until the Lord wakes him up. But at the same time, it breaks my heart going along with lying to my precious innocent boy. I'm praying about it and seeing what the Lord wants me to do, but would love a fresh perspective on the matter. Thank you so much for your time, Sister E. Well, Sister E, I think the best thing we can do is point out, first of all, who St. Nicholas was. Because there seems to be confusion over who Santa Claus is versus who St. Nicholas was. Now, St. Nicholas, which it says here, according to this article I'm about to read from Wikipedia, lived sometime between March 270 and December 6, 343. So he existed a few hundred years after the last scriptures of the Bible were written. For the record... There is no reference of St. Nick in the Bible. In fact, there are not references really to any saints in the Bible. You know, some might say, you know, well, what about St. Paul or St. Peter? And no, they were apostles. 
They were normal men, just like me or anyone else, who God chose to be servants. He chooses his servants. It doesn't mean that they're somebody we should pray to. You know, in the Bible, the saints are on earth. In Roman Catholic teaching, a person does not become a saint unless he or she is beatified or canonized by the Pope or prominent bishop. In the Bible, everyone who has received Jesus Christ by faith is a saint. If the saints were not all of us, who do you think that Daniel was referring to when he talked about the wearing down of the saints in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25? He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High. So if it wasn't about the saints, meaning us, it wouldn't apply to us. And shall intend to change times and law. And that's happening now. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. That's exactly what's happening to all of us as believers now. I don't know about y'all, but I'm getting worn down. I raise my hand. Now, in Roman Catholic practice, the saints are revered, prayed to, and in some instances, worshipped. So note that the saints are all those who believe. Me, you, anyone else. If you forget to live in the ways of Jesus, then you're essentially part of the lukewarm church. You know, you're either going to serve one master and hate the other. You're either part of the world or you're not. You cannot love Jesus and still be part of the world and get to stay on the fence. It doesn't work that way. I have said many times, you have to choose. And that's another reason it is so important we teach that truth to our children. And that's where Sister E was coming from with that email, with what she was stating about her husband being lukewarm. Like, well, you can believe in magic. That's okay. But you can have faith. That's okay. No. And I'm going to get into that in just a moment. But it all falls under that example. And I think it's clear to lay out before I lay out who St. Nick was, or is, that we should not be praying to saints. Because if we are, that's idolatry. We should only be praying to God, and we should only be giving him glory. A saint is no different than any other servant when they do good deeds. It doesn't matter if they're a bishop or whoever. That's like praying to a priest or a pastor or even myself or anybody else who does a teaching or does the Lord's work. I've had people tell me before, oh, Ray, you're a saint for doing this or doing that. It's like, no, please do not call me that. You can pray for me, but do not pray to me or any other person. If you are praying to any other person, aside from God our Father, in Jesus' name, you are in idolatry. You don't want to get caught up in that. I laid that out earlier. In the same light, you should not be ever asking a man or praying to any man to ask for something. And that includes Santa Claus at Christmas time or St. Nick, as some people try to, you know, cover it up with. So now that I've cleared that up, I'm going to read this article that I'm pulling from uh, Wikipedia. And say what you will about Wikipedia, it was the best summed up resource I could find. You know, everybody's welcome to do their own research. St. Nicholas of Myra, also known as Nicholas Abari, 
was an early Christian bishop of Greek descent from the maritime city of Myra in Asia Minor, which would be considered modern-day Demra, Turkey, if I'm pronouncing that right. And that was during the time of the Roman Empire. Because of the many miracles attributed to his intercession, he is also known as Nicholas the Wonderworker. Saint Nicholas is the patron saint of sailors, merchants, archers, repentant thieves, children, brewers, pawnbrokers, unmarried people, and students in various cities and countries around Europe. His reputation evolved among the pious, as was common for early Christian saints, and his legendary habit of secret gift-giving gave rise to the traditional model of Santa Claus through Santa Claus. Very little is known about the historical St. Nicholas. The earliest accounts of his life were written centuries after his death and contain many legendary elaborations. He is said to have been born in the Greek seaport of Patara Lycia in Asia Minor to wealthy Christian parents. In one of the earliest attested and most famous incidents from his life, he is said to have rescued three girls from being forced into prostitution by dropping a sack of gold coins through the window of their house each night for three nights so their father could pay a dowry for each of them. Other early stories tell of him calming a storm at sea. Hmm, that seems familiar. Saving three innocent soldiers from wrongful execution and chopping down a tree possessed by a demon. In his youth, he is said to have made a pilgrimage to Egypt and Palestine. Shortly after his return, he became Bishop of Myra, he was later cast into prison during the persecution of Diocletian, but was released after the accession of Constantine. An early list makes him an attendee of the First Council of Nicaea in 325, but he is never mentioned in any writings by people who were at the council. Late, unsubstantiated legends claim that he was temporarily defrocked and imprisoned during the council of slapping the heretic Arius. Another famous late legend tells how he resurrected three children who had been murdered and picked in brine by a butcher planning to sell them as pork during a famine. Fewer than 200 years after Nicholas's death, the St. Nicholas Church was built in Mira under the orders of Theodosius II, if I'm saying that right, over the side of the church where he had served as bishop, and his remains were moved to a sarcophagus in that church. In 1087, while the Greek Christian inhabitants of the region were subjugated by the newly arrived Muslim Seljuk Turks, and soon after their church was declared to be in schism by the Catholic Church, a group of merchants from the Italian city of Bari removed the major bones of Nicholas's skeleton from his sarcophagus in the church without authorization and brought them into their hometown, where they are now enshrined in the Basilica di San Nicola. The remaining bone fragments from the sarcophagus were later removed by Venetian sailors and taken to Venice during the First Crusade. And guys, just for the record, I don't teach theology. I don't get into urban myths. I don't get into, you know, legends. I'm just reading it as it was written from what I found. So you see, he did good deeds. And as such, he was lifted up and exalted by many. But here's the thing. Like I was just saying, you can't be worshiping someone who simply did good deeds, whether they were sent by God or not. All glory goes to God, and all glory goes to our King Jesus. It does not go to a saint. And there's a lot of teachings that praying to saints is okay, and it is not. It is actually not, and the reason why is it's idolatry. You're taking your prayer 
and you're offering it to a man that existed. You're not offering it to Jesus. You're not offering it to our living God. And that's a form of idolatry. And it's wrong. Now, is the Lord going to, you know, smack you over the head or upside the head and beat you with a gavelin because you were confused about something in the past, something you used to do? No. He wants everybody to understand what's wrong, turn it around, and live for him. The only part of St. Nicholas I can say might tie into Christmas is where it says, he is a patron saint of sailors, merchants, archers, repentant thieves, children, brewers, pawnbrokers, and unmarried people. But see right there, there's nothing here that indicates he went around dropping presents down chimneys and sliding down chimneys or flying a magical reindeer. You know, witches fly around on objects too. In their case, it's supposedly a broom. But they also cast spells, and that is witchcraft. It's no different when you think about it. And this is where you have to understand the difference between Santa Claus and Saint Nick and who he was. What they've done with Santa Claus is turn it into sorcery. You know, Sister E mentioned that her mother-in-law mentioned there's no magic anymore. Well, the problem actually is, is there is too much spiritual disturbance anymore. There is too much of that. There is too much emphasis on magic rather than there is faith. In truth, there is a lot of sorcery and witchcraft taking place because we're in a real spiritual battle. And if that's not evident, you wouldn't be seeing half the things you're seeing today. Santa Claus, as it were, was created as supposedly someone who was similar to St. Nick, but Santa Claus also is a magic epiphany of what St. Nick was supposed to be, or what people thought St. Nick was, and there's a lot of confusion that surrounds that. You know, by relating Santa Claus to St. Nicholas, they're essentially saying that St. Nick still lives as a ghost on the earth and circles the globe, dropping off presents to little boys and girls. That means his soul is not at rest with God in heaven. Whether he is or isn't, that's not up to us, but that's what they're implying, if you think about it. So they're believing in a man who lives on a chunk of ice on the North Pole, who somehow flies a sleigh with a magical reindeer with a glowing nose, and can carry enough material stuff and presents to drop off at everyone's house around the world in one night. Children are often conditioned to write letters, or at least they used to be, and even call the NORAD Santa line to track him and track him online and this, that, and the other. And everybody says, well, it's all for fun. And it's like, well, it's setting a precedent. Like, oh, Santa, Santa, Santa. And it's like, no. You're making an idol. That's why it's wrong. Well, come on, Ray, there's nothing wrong with that. Yes, it is, guys, because what you're doing underlyingly without realizing it is you are instilling in a child's mind that it is okay to make a covenant with that. You're making a covenant with idolatry. You're putting Santa Claus before the Lord. You're putting a saint before the Lord. You're also denying that the Lord can provide all our needs by and through his riches and glory, which his word says. It doesn't matter what somebody did. I could do a million good things. That does not make me anybody special. We're supposed to humble ourselves 
We do works by faith, yes, but we don't put ourselves up on a pedestal. You know, using it for a teaching purpose, which I've done before, that's one thing. That's to exhort the people who are not sure how to carry out good deeds for others. Why is it dangerous to believe in the magical aspect of Christmas? I want to present this as it pertains to the magic and the sorcery of it all and the witchcraft. And then I'm going to get into what Christmas should be about and where our focus should be. Let's look at some verses as they pertain to sorcery. Starting with Galatians 5, verses 20 through 21. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, just the idolatry aside for one moment, drunkenness, revelries, selfish ambitions, heresies, you know, those are the abominations, things not of God. You know, that's what I was referring to with the subject of Disney earlier. Envy, wanting, you know, envy is wanting. Jealousy, eh, that person got more than me on Christmas. These are all sins that can be instilled in children if Christians are taught in the wrong fashion and do not know how to exhort to their children, such as misplaced faith of an expectation that can never be, or believing in an imaginary man that flies around on a sleigh. Now, that's a form of magic. That's sorcery. You know, most people turned out the way they did as a result of their upbringing. If they were not taught right from wrong, if they were not taken to church, if they did not know Jesus. Deuteronomy 18 verses 10 through 13 lays out spiritism being forbidden, a.k.a. that's magic and sorcery. Starting on verse 10, there shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire as a sacrifice, and that's what they're trying to do now, if you look around, one who uses divination and fortune-telling, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a charm or spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or a necromancer, and that's those who seek the dead. So really, if St. Nick is dead, and Santa Claus is supposed to represent St. Nick, that would mean that you're teaching your children to seek the dead, to get what they want for Christmas. Dear Santa, I would like a... It's like, no, that's wrong. For everyone who does these things is utterly repulsive to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You know, that's the sifting that's currently going on. You know, increase in darkness, increase in light. Verse 13, you shall be blameless, that means complete and perfect, before the Lord your God. In other words, that is what he commands us to be. He wants us to have a contrite and pure heart. He doesn't want us playing around with magic and sorcery, or believing in it, or teaching our children, nonetheless, to believe in it. Leviticus 19, verse 31. Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them, to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Revelation chapter 22, verse 13. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That means you cannot argue with anything that is written in the Lord's Word. To quote John, chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, that's relating Revelation 22.13 to John 1.1, if you want to notate that. Going on to Revelation 22, verses 14 through 15, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs, and sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. You know, essentially, if you're believing and somebody flies around and worshiping that person and teaching your children that and going along with the satanic clause, such as the Disney nonsense that I talked about at the beginning, which they're essentially teaching them how to be sexually immoral, believe in sorcery, teaching them idolatry, and people are loving it, saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with it. Well, so you love and you practice a lie if you're okay with that. That's essentially what you're doing. You know, that's everything that I laid out in the beginning and have spoken of many, many times before. And what these different facets of this woke society, this, you know, new way is teaching these children. You heard the verse I quoted from Jesus earlier about the millstone being around the neck. You do not want to be having any part of that. And properly, you should be leading your children to the faith. You know, you should be teaching your children the scriptures that God is their provider. Not a fat, jolly man dressed in a red suit sliding down a chimney tracking ashes all over your living room. You know, that's, that's practicing an element of sorcery and magic. And that's not reality. That's not the faith. Reality is the faith, and it is in the Word, and everything that is needed is in the Word. And guys, we're going to need that, all of us, not just children, but us ourselves. We are all going to need that going forward into the coming seasons we're going to be entering in the next year. Everything is not going to continue going on. Stays do not last forever. There could be a short one, but we're pretty much out of time. I'm not a parent, but I hope that that gives discernment to parents. That's what I would be doing if I were a father. Now, laying that out, it's clear what Santa Claus, with an E, or not, is about. Let's get into why we celebrate the Christmas season and what it's truly about. To do such, we look at the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph. Son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the bottom line is, Christmas is about Jesus Christ. Not a fable of a fat, jolly man who rides around the world in a flying sleigh and misleads children to put their faith in an idol to get their needs. That is a myth created by the world, which has, as a matter of fact, adulterated the Christmas season over the last, I don't know, say a hundred years. You know, if you think about it, by doing so, Christmas has become a season about wanting. You'll hear people say, what do you want for Christmas? Or you'll be asked, what do you want for Christmas? Want? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And to put that into context, that is the exact opposite of everything that represents the Lord Jesus. We are to give, yes. God absolutely loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 7. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. It has to be done in the right context, guys. We need to make sure that the reasons for doing so are right in our hearts. And when you remove Christ from Christmas, it, for lack of a better word, has become adulterated. It then becomes a holiday of confusion to people and children alike, where there becomes an attitude of entitlement. And then it starts to become about all the other aforementioned sins that go along with that. Confusion, strife, and uh, you know, wanting. You know, as Jesus is the reason for the season, we should be teaching our children about him and his ways and teaching them how to be Christ-like. And we should be teaching each other that too. Remember, Matthew 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And has the Christmas season over the years not become more about wanting? much so than anything else. Because from what I've seen, over many, many years now, it has. It has been twisted to suit the world's desires, and if you can't understand the difference, then you're celebrating it by the enemy's dictates, which has greatly deceived men. And that's evident because you see it all over the place. Most people don't even say Merry Christmas anymore. They say Happy Holidays. I have a big problem with that personally. The Lord should see as much of himself in us as is possible. And that's what I've been trying to exhort all year long. To give selflessly in love, show mercy, treat each other right, give thanks, show thanks, honor the Lord in all you do as per Colossians 3 verse 17. Christmas is about Jesus not Santa Claus and self-serving desires, not wanting. 
Brothers and sisters, that's all I have for you this week. It is my prayer that this episode has cleared up any confusion surrounding Christmas. And the true reason we really celebrate. And, specifically, how we ought to be leading the little ones and others who are misled. Jesus bless you. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, everyone.